Welcome to Podcast with Lara Axtell, a seasoned educator of 26 years. Podcast is brought to you by Reading Horizons, the creator of a data-driven literacy program for beginning readers, struggling readers, and English language learners of all ages. Visit readinghorizons.com to learn more. And now, Podcast with your host, Lara Axtell. Welcome to Podcast, the education podcast. Our work as educators and parents can be so challenging. Each child is unique and has special areas of strength and weakness. We can learn so much from our students, and that is especially true of children on the autism spectrum. Today's episode is about supporting students with autism with literacy skills and includes an educator who is also the parent of a recent college graduate on the spectrum, as well as Dr. William Therian, professor in the Department of Curriculum Instruction and Special Education at the University of Virginia Curry School of Education. Dr. Therian is also on the advisory board of the Virginia Institute of Autism. And our last guest, Lauren Haskins, is in charge of staff training and professional development at the Institute and will provide some recommendations based on her years of experience in the classroom working with persons with autism. Our first guest is an educator and parent of a recent college graduate on the autism spectrum. Hi, my name is Michelle. I'm a public school teacher. I've been a public school teacher for 14 years, and I'm the parent of a uh, child who is on the autistic spectrum. She is uh, on the, what they call the high-functioning end. And as she was a student in elementary and secondary school, in terms of reading, anything that spoke to her interest or, her, or sparked her curiosity, uh, she seemed to do very well with. Uh, sometimes uh, kids who are on the autistic spectrum struggle with um, work completion when it comes to reading things that they're not interested in. And the primary means of uh, support that we actually needed were extra, having extra time for thinking and processing, not only uh, with reading, but also with writing. So once we were able to get that support, at both in uh, secondary school and when she went on to college, she was very successful. Our next guest is Dr. William Therian. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Today, we're going to be talking about working with students on the autism spectrum, um, particularly as it relates to reading and writing, written expression. Working with children on the autism spectrum is one of your special interests. How did you come to that work? It is. You know, uh, I was I first started teaching in the late 90s, and that's really when we, we started to realize there was this population of individuals with autism, and, and um, I thought they just were such unique students and um, were, were both a challenge to work with, but, but a challenge in a good sense uh, that they brought about a lot of strengths as well. So it was just a group of students that I, that I enjoyed working with when I was a teacher and then realized there wasn't much information out for them and wanted to kind of follow up once I got my PhD. An area that you have focused on in your research and design work is reading and written expression. How is teaching reading and writing different for educators of students on the autism spectrum? You know, it's a fascinating question. Uh, and we really just recently are starting to get more information about how we might teach uh, reading and writing to students on the autism spectrum differently than others. One thing I would point out when we talk about basic reading skills, kind of the conventional knowledge up to about a decade ago was that we had a lot of students with autism, particularly high-functioning autism, that were word callers. So they, they were able to read very fluently, that have 
real difficult time with comprehension, particularly um, inferential comprehension. And while that's the case, there's probably more students that fall in that line. There are also a significant amount of students with, with autism that are higher functioning that have similar difficulties that we might expect with a struggling reader. So they have to work on phonics and phonemic awareness and, and reading fluency. Uh, but we do see an increase in difficulty related to comprehension. Um, and we also see motivational issues uh, for students with autism related to getting them to, to, to want to read widely and uh, different sources and narrative and expository texts. So in general, when it comes to reading, students with autism are more like other students than, than different. But when we do see, where we do see the differences is particularly related to that inferential comprehension. With writing, uh, you know, the big thing with writing is the act of writing and some of that, sometimes those kind of sensory difficulties that individuals with autism um, experience can be problematic. Uh, and then uh, they also have similar difficulties that uh, other students have with writing as far as putting together a coherent narrative, um, uh, uh, conventions of writing, and so forth. Um, you bring up an interesting point, which is that students on the spectrum often have an affinity, something that they are truly passionate about. And is it uh, beneficial for teachers to encourage them to read? And is that helped by having them read about something they truly are already interested in? Yes, it absolutely does help. And it's actually a fascinating new line of research uh, related to reading and just it's just broader. So in the past, oftentimes teachers and parents would really try to sway their child uh, away from whatever their affinity or their specific interest was with the idea that they had to get broader and that they needed to learn traditional academics and such through the topics that everyone else was exploring those. Um, but as we know with all readers, you know, motivation is key number one. And so if we can if we can harness that affinity, if we can harness that, that interest area uh, and then work on those academic skills, particularly reading and writing, we can really move uh, people forward. And there are some researchers actually exploring that, taking, uh, trying to take uh, certain skills that they want might want students to learn, uh, students with autism, and, and trying to contextualize it within their affinity area in order to increase that motivation. And also, have you done any research or have you seen any work um, toward using stories and things like that to help students on the autism spectrum really get a better sense of how other characters might, you know, the whole theory of mind process of maybe using a story or something that they read or read with a group to better understand how to interact? Certainly, yes. There's a, there's a big vein of research called social stories, and that's exactly what they do, the way they go ahead and, and try to expose uh, individuals with autism, but all, 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 all children, uh, to um, be able to see the perspectives of others and also kind of anticipate what might be expected of them in different social situations or in different situations in life, such as going to the doctor or going to the mall or interacting with a peer. Um, and uh, so there's been there's been a significant amount of success with that uh, for individuals with autism. There's also this area of research called uh, video self modeling, where where students with with autism are are actually prompted through doing skills and doing them proficiently, and then rewatching those videos of themselves engaging in those skills and, and seeing that they're successful, so they can keep trying those. So there's a, there's a lot of interesting research related to kind of the social aspect of autism, you know, both in academic areas and non-academic areas. 
one thing I think we've we've proven is, is that's not the case. That with effective instruction, and that that includes a, a motivating part, so they they want to engage and participate in that instruction, they can be quite successful. And that must be particularly hopeful for parents who wonder if their child will be able to be successful um, post secondary. Absolutely, um, it's one thing that I certainly learned from doing doing this work is we should never. Uh, give up on uh, trying to push those basic academic skills. And, and interesting, there's some interesting research out of, out of adult education that, that shows if you can get students to, to, to have a global reading level that's up where, somewhere in the fourth, fifth grade level, and then you, then you really immerse them in the, the, the background knowledge and the content and the way that, that things are written in a particular field, whether that's a, um, a vocational field or an, an interest uh, a non-vocational field interest of that particular individual, they can they can do just as well with reading and writing within that particular area as anyone else. And so, to me, that's that's kind of the goal. And one thing that's so unique about working with individuals with autism that have an affinity or an area where they they can be becoming an expert is it it's it's up to us as educators to harness that affinity area and and help them propel their their academic education through that interest area. So based on your research and experience, where do students with ASD struggle um, and what are best practices for effective reading instruction and intervention? Oftentimes, students need to be taught kind of explicit strategies in, in order to engage in comprehending the passages, whether that's some kind of review of text structure and, and making sure that they're comfortable and, and understand how text, particularly expository texts, are set up in order to try to gain information or some kind of comprehensive strategy, whether it's summarization strategy or um, some other strategy that they can they can utilize in order to integrate what they're learning in the passage with their background knowledge and um, be able to understand it. And I, and I always think modeling is a really important thing as well. So thinking aloud for all your students, particularly for students with autism, so they can start making those connections and um, comprehending the passage. So it would be helpful to do something like teaching them to annotate or to find the evidence in the text? Absolutely, right? So and you, you model it as a teacher, and then you prompt them you prompt them through it with support, and then you ask them to engage in that task on their own and evaluate and provide them with that feedback. It could be very powerful. Uh, you know, it's another great thing about getting in an area where it's an affinity. So, you know, if you're asking them to annotate a passage and it's a passage that they're not interested in, you can have difficulty with that, particularly if they've had difficulty with that task in the past. But boy, if you can really harness that interest area of them um, and you see their motivation increase, and they see the importance and pertinence of, of engaging in in that task, then then uh, you're well on your way of making a real difference. Yeah, that's that's very helpful information for teachers. I think many students on the spectrum also struggle with writing. It's uncomfortable and sometimes a painful process for them. Could you talk about written expression and what would be helpful for teachers and parents to know about that? I would say one thing, and I think your question is phrased perfectly correct in that a lot of them do find it to be uncomfortable and painful. Uh, and so you have to you have to keep remembering, keep in mind that that's a genuine pain and problem for them. They are having some sensory issues related to the actual writing process. Um, so, I, you know, one thing we need to keep in mind is that we need to provide them with, with accommodations and modification for tasks related to writing. I mean, I actually, I myself was writing a note to my wife 
yesterday and I was putting on a piece of paper and I had a lot to say and I wrote a lot of stuff, uh, stuff down and my hands actually began to hurt. And the reason why my hands began to hurt was because people don't write very much anymore. You know, we're typing, we're texting, we're, uh, we're, uh, we're doing that instead of uh, physically handwriting, particularly cursive writing, but even print. So I, you know, I think it's okay. Uh, and I should be encouraged to provide uh, modification and allow them to use other modes of communication in, in, in those types of situations. And don't let the, the actual process of writing get in the way of being able to express, practice, communicate with others. I think that's the number one thing, um, is thinking about how we can provide those types of modification and, and being comfortable in, in the notion that in a society, and who knows what it's going to be like 10, 20 years from now, physically writing is, is rarely needed. Now, with that said, I certainly think it's something that, that all students should engage in at, at times. I think you have to go ahead and, and make sure you provide them the tools and the type of pens and pencils that they feel comfortable writing with. I wouldn't expect the same volume as writing as I would expect from my other students. And um, I would also give them more time to do it. And, and not just time and length of time, but also different periods of time where they can engage in writing and, and, and short bursts and, and not feel overwhelmed by the task. The bottom line is, is as the teachers think about what the goal of that particular lesson or unit it is, and if it's not a, write, a, a physically writing, you want to evaluate the student's physical ability to write. I think there's a lot of different ways for them to demonstrate what they know other than, other than engaging in that task. So can you weigh in on assistive technology like speech-to-text? Does it really matter? In, in what way? Well, so if students are using computers and they're going from speech-to-text so that they're not actually handwriting much of anything um, and can get their ideas on paper, is that um, something as a modification accommodation that educators should be willing to embrace? I think so. But, you know, it doesn't stop there. So if you think about the writing process, even, even getting that first draft down, even if you're going to write it or type it yourself, uh, writers do so much more after that as far as revising it and, and, and working on it. And so that's, that's where, you know, so you got that, you got that speech to text device and, and you go ahead and engage with that. And then you have that, that person's first draft. So then we have to teach them how they're going to engage in, in, in modifying it and editing that draft. It's the same thing with, you know, using a computer, using a, a, a word processing program. I think that's perfectly fine, but we still have to teach students how to use, utilize that program appropriately. And although they don't have to be perfect spellers, they got to get to be, to be spellers to the point where it, when, when the, the spelling correct, correct software pops up the word, uh, they need to be able to pick the correct word or they need to get close enough to spelling that word correctly that the, that the spell check can actually give them options. So using technology, while, while it's, I, I highly advocate it, you know, there are those other steps afterwards uh, that, we, that uh, these students, students that are using assistive technology, especially students, maybe high-functioning students with autism who can produce the same type and quality of written text than anyone else, they'll need to engage in. We'll be right back. Podcast is sponsored by Reading Horizons, the creator of a data-driven literacy program for beginning readers, struggling readers, and English language learners of all ages. With data-informing software and teacher-led instruction, students receive targeted intervention that leads to rapid reading improvement. Visit readinghorizons.com trial for 14 days of free access to our software. What about research on how occurrence of autism and, say, dyslexia or other uh, reading or print-based disabilities? Believe it or not, there really is not that much research on reading 
difficulties in individuals with autism. I really feel, in general, the whole area of students with high-functioning autism is an understudied area. And I think that the reason for that is these students sometimes have, have particularly strong strengths in mathematics and other areas, and folks feel like that they're going to be fine, and, and, and we haven't focused a lot of our, our research efforts in, in those areas. But the research on reading in individuals with autism it shows that they are as likely to uh, have difficulty, and we could call it dyslexia, as any other reader. And, and so we, we have to be diligent that, that we, um, we identify the difficulties these students are having and provide effective instruction for them. And might it be important for teachers to be aware that they might have to work up to larger time periods or volume incrementally, so they start with something that will, you know, be a shorter passage or a shorter period of time? I think, yes. I mean, one, one thing that's nice, sometimes in the earlier grades when we're working on reading fluency, uh, is, you know, we have kids, uh, kids read for a short burst of time or very short passages. Uh, and then as, as kids get older, even though they might not have those uh, reading skills uh, that, they, that we would typically expect of like a sixth or seventh or eighth grader, we still expect them to engage in reading extensive texts that are dense with new vocabulary words, and that can be draining to individuals with you know, high-functioning students with autism or other students who are struggling with and reading. So as teachers, we've got to be creative about the amount of, uh, of, of reading that we're expecting uh, of the students themselves. And then, and then the challenge becomes making sure that they still gain uh, an opportunity to learn that content, even if they're not reading it reading the whole thing themselves and so continuing to work on improving the, their reading skills but expecting any student to engage in a task or any person really to engage in a task that that's highly complex and, and difficult for them for a significant period of time does nothing but promote frustration and less uh, willingness to engage in the task in the in the future and the one thing i think as teachers that we don't want to do is to think that our reading instruction or being in our class is decreasing individuals motivation to read in the future um, and you've mentioned many of these really great recommendations. Are there others that you would provide regarding literacy instruction for educators working in inclusive general ed classrooms with students on the spectrum? I think number one is to know your students. That's the first and foremost thing. Know what their reading levels are. Know what their strengths and weaknesses are. And then um, work with your special education teacher to make sure you're providing accommodations and modifications for them uh, to be successful, allowing there to be an opportunity for students to choose what they want to read and have a variety of different reading levels, uh, and you know, try to find out what those affinities are, and if possible, pull in reading material with, with that information. Thank you so much for such valuable information that can make a difference in both teacher preparation and classroom instruction. Oh, you're more than welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Our last guest today is Lauren Haskins from the Virginia Institute of Autism. Welcome to the program, Lauren. Thank you. It's good to be here. Could you tell me a little bit about your role at VIA? Sure. I am currently responsible for doing a lot of staff training for instructional staff as well as special education teachers, um, and we also employ behavior analysts uh, here. Um, and I have uh, also been a special education teacher um, in the past in a variety of different classrooms and have worked with a range of students anywhere from two to about 40 years old at our organization. Well, that's great, because this next question will really be right in your lane. So can you talk a little bit about your experience um, in the classroom with students on the spectrum and what you've kind of seen that might be helpful for educators to be aware of related to reading and writing? So are there kind of specific challenges for 
um, ASD students? Yes, definitely. One of the quotes that I like about teaching uh, individuals with autism and just knowing people with autism in general is if you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. And that was said by Dr. Stephen Shore. Uh, and I think that is really important when you think about it in terms of literacy as well. Um, and so I think something that I've realized throughout all of my teaching is that some students may have really big strength areas in decoding or in answering comprehension questions and may have very large challenges in another area, whether it be reading fluency or reading with intonation or answering reading comprehension questions. So one of the things we always like to do when we start working with a new student is complete a number of assessments to identify their reading level and what their strengths and challenges are in that area. Um, And so that helps us then address what goals we're going to be working on. And are sensory issues a factor for students on the spectrum when it comes to reading and writing? I think that's one that probably varies across learners a lot, and we've definitely worked with a number of students who have had a hard time attending the reading activities that they're doing because of, you know, the light in the room or certain sounds that are happening or the chair they're sitting in, and so there's a lot of great ways you can have flexible seating options um, or, you know, play soothing, calming music or something like that that can help the students, you know, pay more attention. We've also done a lot of cool activities in literacy groups where there may be movement incorporated into the activities so that the students aren't required to sit still for the entire duration of a reading lesson. The same would apply to writing, I would assume. Is it helpful to give them a prompt that is a little more concrete, maybe, so that they don't have to interpret or negotiate something that's a very open-ended writing assignment? Definitely. Um, We've definitely had a lot of experience with students who have much more success answering more concrete writing topics or about things that they have especially experienced in life and have a harder time completing writing topics that are related to different abstract thoughts or creative writing or things like that, even if, you know, they are able to talk about those types of topics, but just pulling all those thoughts together into a writing, organized writing assignment can be challenging. Um, We've also used different visual supports like graphic organizers and writing checklists and things like that to help students be able to self-monitor their own writing a little bit more and not rely on the teacher's support as much in those settings. And what's your experience or maybe just your opinion about using software-based programs for students on the spectrum? Do they, do students with autism or some of the students you've worked with find that helpful, even using assistive technology like Uh, If writing is more difficult, speech to text, software programs that are maybe a little more interactive. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a huge help for students with autism. You know, I've worked with a number of students who could tell these elaborate stories verbally, but um, were not yet at the point that they were reading and writing and spelling on their own. So they would, you know, go off to the side and work with a teacher and dictate the writing assignment to the teacher that they're working with. But now because of that technology, they're able to, um, you know, use you know, technology that's available to pretty much everybody now and complete those activities independently. Um, We've also used word suggestion software. So for students who are able to read but may not be an excellent speller, you know, they can start typing the beginning sounds of the word and have some choices of what word to pick to help assist them with their writing process as well. 
I really want your take on this because in a lot of general ed classrooms, you know, there's a list of things that the the whole class is going to cover. And sometimes it is maybe more beneficial to allow a student to read and write and even do math um, when things are related to their affinity or their special interest. And teachers may have a difficulty grasping how like if their interest is computers or trains or, you know, whatever it is, and allowing them to really just develop those skills using that um, specific interest is what would you say about that? Is that a good thing or should uh, students kind of be required to do what everybody else is doing? I think that's a very tough question and probably something that teachers, you know, think about all the time. I think a lot of that depends on the goal that that student has in the moment. And a lot of times we'll, you know, talk to the students and involve them in kind of some goal setting procedures where uh, maybe initially we're allowing them to pick their topics of what they want to write about or what they want to read about. And then, you know, give them a little bit of a heads up that, hey, for the next assignment, we're going to think about something else to write about and then include the student in those conversations so they can be part of the goal setting for themselves of stretching their interests a little bit more, trying something new. And we've had students who initially would only read about war and killing and books that were in their specific interest. All of a sudden, you know, over a year, start participating in reading um, different poetry and writing poetry and doing more things that are on the grade level standards to the point that the class even had a poetry slam and Every student in the classroom read a poem that they had written themselves, and that did not happen overnight, but was a great example of kind of making small changes over time to work from a very specific interest to something more so that the group is doing together. And that's also very helpful. And so I think that kind of lends itself to, you know, hope, some hope. Um, Parents and educators, I think, sometimes are concerned, worried that students aren't going to develop those great appropriate skills. From your experience, using those best practices and ideas that you've talked about, could you shed a little hope for, you know, what you've seen with students and how they are able to begin implementing some of those strategies? Yeah, I think, you know, especially when students are younger and when they're, you know, first starting to, um, you know, go to a, you know, a new school or be in a new grade, that can be really challenging for new teachers that are working with them and for the parents to kind of, you know, see that the students aren't exactly doing what everyone in the grade is doing. And so I think it's really helpful to have, you know, those open communications with the parents and talk about, you know, plans of how you're going to make gradual changes and work on setting goals, but also to talk about it with the students um, and really explain to the students why it's important to work on these skills and talk about, you know, if it's appropriate for the learner, you know, that, you know, they need to know how to read and write and all of that for activities in the future. And I think over time, I've definitely seen students, you know, become more accepting of that and be more motivated to work on those skills themselves. And then the parents see these successes. And I think, you know, looking at the little wins, you know, every couple of months will gradually over time turn into um, a big win that parents and the students as well as the teachers can feel really proud of. Such great ideas. Thank you so much for sharing your experience. No problem. Happy to do it. We hope you found the information on supporting students with autism valuable. We'd like to thank Michelle, Dr. Therian, and Lauren Haskins for sharing their experience and suggestions. 
Coming next on podcast, our last episode of season two will be devoted to the intervention needs of students with dyslexia and features Dr. Louise Spear-Swirling, who will explain structured literacy and how this approach to instruction differs from typical literacy practices. We look forward to having you join us in 2019. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of PodClast. To be notified when future episodes are available, subscribe to PodClast on iTunes. If you enjoyed today's episode, leave us a review. To submit discussion topics or to recommend a student, parent, educator, or expert to be interviewed on future episodes, visit readinghorizons.com slash podcast. PodClast is sponsored by Reading Horizons. Visit readinghorizons.com slash trial for 14 days of free access to our software. Reading Horizons. Reading is for everyone.